Are you going to be teaching kindergarten next year for the first time, or do you know someone who is? Teaching kindergarten for the first time can be overwhelming, and maybe you're feeling unsure of where to start. Well, look no further. I have the ultimate survival guide for new kindergarten teachers. I created it based on all the things that you need to rock teaching kindergarten next year. All the things I wish I had known as a brand new kindergarten teacher. Get your mindset ready to tackle the challenges of kindergarten, learn how to set up your classroom for success, and master key strategies for teaching effectively. Plus, prepare for the first week of school like a pro. Don't miss out on this free guide, and please share it with your new teammates and friends who are moving to kindergarten next year. Get ready to embark on an incredible journey in kindergarten education with me as your virtual teammate cheering you on. Download the free guide today at www.kindergartencafe.org slash new dash teacher. That's kindergartencafe.org slash new dash teacher. Welcome to the kindergarten team. Hey, teacher friends, it's Ziba from Kindergarten Cafe. And today we are talking about tracking student progress. This is a question that comes up a lot for teachers about the best ways to track student progress, and I've got a lot of tips and tricks in here for you, so I hope you find it helpful, and let's get started. You're listening to the Kindergarten Cafe Podcast, where kindergarten teachers come to learn classroom-tested tips and tricks and teaching ideas they can use in their classroom right away. I'm Zeba, creator and founder of Kindergarten Cafe, and I help kindergarten teachers with everything they need from arrival to dismissal in order to save time, work smarter, not harder, and support students with engaging and purposeful lessons. I'm here to cheer you on through your successes and breakthroughs and offer support and resources so you never have to feel stuck or alone. Ready to start saving time and reducing your stress all while using effective and purposeful lessons that students love? Let's get started. So teachers, when we are assessing students, we are checking in to see if what students know, what they've learned, and sometimes there can be an overwhelming amount of data or sometimes there's too much where you don't even know where to look, what to focus on, how to keep track of it all. And then it just becomes assessing for the sake of assessing, when really the point of assessing is to track the student's progress and see how they're doing in progressing in their skill development and skill knowledge. So tracking student progress is the goal of all those assessments. But how do we keep track of it? How do we stay organized? How do we focus in on what's most important? Well, let me answer that for you. When I am assessing students, I am looking at skills that I know they need to learn in kindergarten. And I focus on the skills that they have already learned, blending into the skills that they are should be learning next. I don't want to go too far beyond the skills that they have because I don't want to overwhelm them. So I start with some basic skills to assess on like letter identification and sound knowledge of the letters, number identifying and counting different groups of objects, things like that. 
As I see that they are learning their letter sounds, I'll add in some other assessments to help me really understand where they are in their phonics skills. Can they identify beginning sounds of words, ending sounds of words, middle sounds of words? Can they write simple CVC words? As I see that kids are able to do different skills, I'll add in other skills to our assessment. But if they're not able to do them yet, I'm not going to push the student forward to assess other skills because that's just stressful and frustrating for everyone involved. It is really important to get in a routine of doing quick little check-ins and assessments with students. I think when we think of the word assessment, we think of this really big thing that can be overwhelming, like a big test. But actually, a check-in should just be quick, simple, and it should be done routinely. If you're using the RTI model in your school, the check-ins would be every six weeks. You'd have a new round of check-ins, and then you'd reassess whether or not you need to regroup students, change up the focus of small groups, things like that. And that's what good teaching really is, is doing those check-ins with students and having that inform your instruction. So do you need to go back and do a lesson with the whole class because no one got that skill? Or is it a small group of kids that didn't learn the skill and they need extra practice with it? When I'm planning my small groups for literacy or for math, I keep them very skill-based And those skills are directly related to the assessment check-ins that I do with them. I am constantly focusing on different phonics skills or reading skills or writing skills or whatever. And as I see that kids are learning those skills, I'll do a check-in to confirm. And if they are learning those skills independently, then I don't need to keep working with them on that in that small group, I want to move them to a different group to work on a different skill. So as I said, assessments don't have to be this big, huge thing. I mean, we have lots of formal assessments that we do throughout the year as a district to show how our students are learning. But I do tons of informal assessments with them all the time or like observations or just a quick check-in with my assessment tracker. I do that all the time. I do it basically every six weeks, maybe once a month, um, just to see how they're doing with learning their letters, their sounds, their numbers, and then some of those phonics skills that I mentioned. And every time that I recheck in on the assessments, I let that inform my instruction. I regroup my small groups. And like I said, those groups are based on the skills that they are missing that I want them to be working on. These check-ins I keep in a data binder. For me, I found that that's the best system to use to keep all the information in one place. It took me years to figure out the system that worked for me, and it took many trial and error just to test out different, you know, different ways of organizing all the data. I had a file folder bin, I had the data binder, I had different clipboards, but I just found that having a data binder helped me keep everything in one place. And so that way, when I'd go to different meetings, I could—I didn't have to worry about which folder do I need to grab, which student are we talking about. I could just grab the binder and everything I needed would be right in there. And what I do over the summer is I copy my assessments that I'm going to do with them throughout the year, my quick check-ins, 
and I put them in the binder and I separate it with a divider that has a number on the side. So I have each student of mine has a number. So I just know that, you know, okay, number two is this student. I'm going to open up the number two, you know, divider, and then I'm going to do a check-in with them. Uh, And it's just super easy for me to keep organized. And these check-ins are great to show parents or if you're having a meeting with the school to really showcase the concern that you're having or the progress that you're seeing, whatever it is you might be, but it's a great visual to show them that you're doing these check-ins with them and you're either seeing the progress you want to see or you're not seeing the progress that you want to see. When I organize my small groups based on the skill level, I really do want it to be fluid groups. I don't want the kids to be stuck in the quote-unquote red group or whatever all year long. I want it to be based on the skill that I'm working with on. So I would write down on a sticky note and keep on a blank piece of paper on a clipboard the different skills that I know kids are missing uh, based on a recent round of assessments. So for example, in math, I might have counting up to 20, teen number identification, um, one more, one less up to 10, one more, one less up to 20, being able to break apart numbers up to five. And for any kid that's working on that and doesn't have that consistently and independently, I write their name down. And sure, some kids might be in multiple boxes, but I'll look at my clipboard and be like, okay, today I'm pulling a number decomposition group. I know that these students need to work on that. I have materials all right here in my plastic bag labeled number decomposition up to five. And I'll pull out an activity, call my group over, and we'll do some practice. When you notice that kids are struggling with skills, and especially the skills that are most foundational to the learning, you want to see those students 10 to 15 minutes every day. You don't want to overdo it because you you don't want to go past their attention span and you don't want to neglect the other students as well. But if you really target that 10, 15 minutes with intentional and purposeful activities to help practice the skill that they're missing, then that really helps you see progress that the student is making over time. It really helps the student to learn and progress in their skill knowledge. I used to have these printed out forms that I would fill out to write the names of all the groups, but I just prefer the sticky notes because I want to be able to change names around quickly and easily and cross people off, and it gets messy, and it should because as students learn the skills, that you want to move them to other groups and move the groups around. And I also like writing multiple names for Whatever skill it is, let's say, you know, teen number, that's a really big one in math, learning the teen numbers. Sometimes I'll have like 10 kids' names there that need to work on it. Well, uh, I'm not pulling all 10 at once. I'm going to pull a group of four students, maybe five, and I'm going to look around the room and see which five students are here today, which five students are, you know, not working with another teacher, which five students are available. I'll pull that which five students would work best together. Um, I'll pull them. Uh, But I also like to do sort of levels of kids, as in I'll sort of star the kids that I want to work with the most, like the kids that, in this example of teen numbers, only know three teen numbers versus the ones that know 17 numbers. You know, so I want to work with the kids that need the most support every day for about 10 to 15 minutes. 
And it can be hard when you're looking at all the skills that you've just assessed and deciding, well, which one is the most important? Which group of students do I want to see, you know, every day for 10 minutes? But it just comes back to which skill is the most foundational? Which skill do my students need before they can learn any of the other skills? So if I have a group in math that's working on counting, and then I have groups of students that are working on number relationships, breaking apart numbers, number order, all that stuff, the kids that are still working on counting, they come first because that's more foundational. The other groups of students I'm still going to see because I'm only met with the counting group for about 10 minutes, and then I have time to work with my other students, but I'm going to make sure to see the counting group every single day. The other groups, I'll switch up. I'll see them throughout the week. Same with phonics. If I have kids that don't have the phonological awareness of rhyming, um, identifying beginning sounds, things like that, hearing the sounds, that's who I'm going to prioritize versus someone who's not writing CVC words yet, which, by the way, in November, December, I'm not expecting anyone to write CVC words. Sure, some can, but to be independent at that at this point in the year is awesome (laughs) and definitely not expected. My focus would be more on the foundational skills of phonological awareness or like letter sounds or being able to hear the sounds first before we even move on to writing or reading the sounds. If you need help with specifics of like, these are the skills in my class that I need to work on, which one would you work on? Send me a DM and I'm happy to tell you my opinion. But again, just think about which skill is the most foundational skill. And then the kids that don't have that, those are who you're going to focus in on every day. When we see that students are missing skills or not progressing in the skills like we would want, we do need to really make a plan to move forward with them and how we can best support them. And I think that that plan should involve parents and it should involve the school. And so we want to, whenever we see a problem, as I mentioned in episode three uh, of this podcast, whenever we see a problem with students, we don't want to wait till the next parent-teacher conferences. We want to meet with parents right away. So if we're noticing we did a new round of check-ins with students and we notice the student hasn't learned any more letter sounds this week, or they're still missing the same five letters despite all that you've tried with them, you want to call the parents in and meet with them right away. You want to have a plan in place that you want to keep trying so you can let the parents know about what you're intending to try with the student. But you also want to give the parents some support that they can do at home with them because the extra practice will help. And so I have created home activities for students because that are, are really meant to be independent for the student, easy for families to complete, quick, simple. Idea would be a parent can be cooking dinner while the student's doing the activity, that it doesn't take that much work on the family side. But I do like to send those home with the families when I say, hey, your child is not learning. The letter sounds like we would like to see. Um, Here's some activities that you can do that mirror the ones we're doing in the classroom. If you could work with this on them just for like 10 minutes a day, that would be great. And let's check back in in a couple weeks and see how we're doing. And if we're still not seeing progress, you know, we'd want to think about what next steps we could take. After meeting with the families or before meeting with the families, however your school handles it, but around the same time, you want to meet with the school 
and see what other supports that you could be trying because there are lots of experts in the school that might have ideas you haven't been trying yet. Or there might be extra support that the school can give you. Like, for example, in my school, we have a literacy specialist. So if you're noticing a concern with the student's literacy development, maybe there's a teacher available who can work with them on more intense intervention every day, right? And that is able to work with them in a group of one versus your group of four students. And so meeting with the school is an important step to see what other supports we can offer the student. But it will be important to go to this meeting with school administration or with literacy specialists, whoever you have in your building. It's important to bring to them these assessment check-ins that you've been doing so they can see what you've been trying and sort of the progress or lack of progress that you've been seeing over time. So have ready to go these assessments and some of the activities that you've been doing and the type of work you've been doing in small groups with them. If after a full round of small groups, the six weeks of, you know, intervention that you're trying, you're still not seeing progress, you know, it may be time to consider a special ed evaluation or, like I had mentioned, getting a literacy specialist involved. But the school would be the place to start with that discussion. So if you are concerned that maybe a student needs to be evaluated for special education, definitely start with the school and they're they're absolutely going to want to know what you've done for the student in the past and if it's worked or hasn't worked. And each school does this a little differently, so I don't want to get into like the specifics, but it's really important that we prove we've tried everything we can in the general ed classroom before moving a student on to be evaluated. But of course, if families are concerned about students' progress, families always have the right to request an evaluation. So they might hear your concern and and hear your sharing about what you're working on with the student and whether it's working or not working, and they may request an evaluation. But sometimes kids just need more time or a different way of learning. And that's why we try lots of different ways. And we keep track of whether what we're doing is working or not working through these different assessment check-ins. So it doesn't be a big formal assessment. It can be a quick assessment check-in or informal observation, but we want to check in on the skills that we're teaching students. If we notice that kids aren't learning the skills like we would like them to, we want to pull them in a small group for 10 minutes every day if it's a really foundational key skill. We want to work with them on that 10 minutes every day in a small group with, you know, different strategies of really targeted activities to that skill. And if we're still not seeing the progress after we're trying um, a small group for like six weeks or so, and we're still not seeing the progress, then it's time to meet with the family and the school and ask for support with moving forward with next steps and working on extra support for the student. So reach out anytime. This is a lot of information. Reach out anytime if you have questions about how to best, you know, target a small group for your students or which small groups should you focus on. I'm always happy to help talk about the data that you're seeing in your class and all of that. And please consider rating and reviewing the show, sharing with a friend that you think would benefit from it. And in our quote of the day, six-year-old girl said, teachers are full of work. And that's true. We are always working. 
Thank you so much, and we'll see you in the next episode next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Kindergarten Cafe podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and resources, or just head straight to kindergartencafe.org for all the goodies. If you liked this episode, the best ways to show your support are to subscribe, leave a review, or send it to a friend. I'll be back next week with even more kindergarten tips. See you then.